Logan, you did a good job reading the scripture. Thank you. You know, when I was Logan's age, it was still the 1980s. And Logan, this is going to be hard to imagine, but it was the land before internet and cell phones. So what that meant, being a kid in the 1980s, many of you in this room were as well, it meant we had to do something then that you kids don't have to do now. We had to wait. Let me explain what I mean by that. Like if there was an after-school activity and maybe it got out early or something, or maybe if it got out on time but mom or dad were late in picking us up, we had no way of knowing when they were coming. Nowadays, you can say, hey, mom, what's your ETA? And mom can say, oh, sweetheart, I'll be there in 11 minutes. And for those 11 minutes, you can whip out some app on your phone and do something. When I was your, when I was your age, son, <laughs> you had no idea when mom or dad was coming. No clue. There was no communication. You had to wait 11 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes. You had to just wait. I remember one time it was an after-school activity and I was waiting on the curb at the school parking lot with a whole bunch of other kids lined up on the curb next to me. And one by one, cars came into the school parking lot and picked up the other kids. And I remember it was starting to get dark outside. And I was watching as each car was coming in the school parking lot. I had memorized the type of car by the shape of their headlights. Is this my dad? No, that's a Chevrolet Chevette. Remember those? And it, the Chevette would pick up a kid and off they would go. Is this my dad? No, it's one of those old Jeep Cherokees. And another kid would go. And it was getting dark outside. And I was the last kid left. And I was getting madder at my dad. I had all kinds of questions for him. Where are you, dad? Did you get too busy to remember me? Have you forgotten about me? And I was getting madder and madder, and finally the square headlights of our burgundy Oldsmobile station wagon <laughs> came rolling in, and I opened the door and got in the car. Sometime between the 1980s and now, we've forgotten how to wait, haven't we? Standing in line at the post office, you just get some emails done on your iPhone, whatever. We don't really wait anymore which is why I love the season that starts today, the season of Advent. Advent is designed to put us in a spiritual posture of waiting. It's four weeks long, and we wait for Christmas to come. We wait not only for Christmas to come, but we wait for the second coming of Christ in the world. Advent is designed to align us with our Christian brothers and sisters or our faithful brothers and sisters before Christ who waited for the Messiah to come. And it also puts us in a posture of waiting for his second coming. That's what Advent is supposed to do for four Sundays. You can see on your bulletin here that we're going to observe all four Sundays of Advent this year with various scriptures and themes each week. You know, every year I hear people starting to say Merry Christmas already, like right after Thanksgiving. I personally wait. I say Advent greetings or Happy Advent. And then on December 25, when Christmas technically starts, I say Merry Christmas. Now, if you want to say Merry Christmas, that's fine. I just personally, I try to wait because I want to observe Advent in the way that the church fathers designed it. 
You'll notice we sang an Advent hymn at the beginning of the service, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's a classic Advent hymn where we wait for, we long for, we hope for the coming of Emmanuel. A Christmas carol is different. Christmas carol is joy to the world, the Lord is come. You see the difference? Advent and Christmas, I actually prefer the Advent hymns, most of them, because it teaches me how to wait. It's something I have forgotten to do. And in today's text, the words that Logan read from Luke 21, those are the very words of Jesus. Jesus said those words, and he teaches us how to wait for his second coming. He shows us, specifically in this text, he shows us what to watch for. Just like I was watching for the headlights of my dad's Oldsmobile, Jesus tells us what to watch for in the world so that we'll know that he is about to come back. Let's read his words once again. I'll read them in verse 25 and 26. This is Jesus telling us what to watch for, to know that he's coming back soon. He said this, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity, Because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, I just want to draw out a couple of these phrases so we can understand what Jesus was talking about, so we can know what to watch for. There's a couple of phrases that require some explanation. When he says there will be nations or peoples in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. In Bible times, when you said the seas will roar, that was a phrase that people understood. It would be like if I were to say to you, all hell is about to break loose. In Bible times, they would say the seas will roar. And they meant the same thing. And the reason for that was they believed back in the ancient world that the very source of evil, Satan or Leviathan, lived in the bottom of the sea. And when he was angry and when he was wanting to lash out on the world, he would stir up the waters and they would become chaotic. It was like an undoing of the created order. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God brings order out of the chaos? There's just disorder on the waters and he forms it and he orders it. Well, when evil comes into the world, he brings chaos into the world. And so in the ancient world, when they wanted to say that evil was being unleashed, they would say, the seas are roaring, you see. But then another phrase, at the end of that reading that I just did, it says, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So what's happening here is Jesus says, at the end times, before I come back, all hell's going to break loose, and it's going to become at war with the heavenly powers, you see. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. So God will unleash his armies of good and of light, and they will do battle in the final battle with evil. The waves will roar, evil will be coming out, all hell's going to break loose, but God's going to meet all of that in a final battle. And then he says, the nations, the people will be in distress and perplexity because of this. He describes all of us kind of caught in the crossfire between the forces of evil and the forces of the heavenlies. People will be fainting with fear and foreboding, he says. That sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? It's kind of terrifying. My goodness, Jesus, he's warning us of the way things are going to go before he comes back so that we know what to expect, what to watch for. 
It's a real war that's going to take place. Now, I have just a little bit of a pet peeve I have to get out of the way before I preach any further. Jesus is describing how things are going to go when the real Advent comes, when the real season of Advent comes, when he's about to come back. It's a real war between hell and heaven. And I personally get a little frustrated when we Christians respond to the narrative of culture and we think we have to fight in what we call the culture wars, the war on Christmas. You've heard this before. It's not, you know, Jesus could have said anything to his followers here. He didn't say, all right, guys, listen up. Before I come back, things are going to get so bad. There's going to be a guy buying a soccer ball at a cash register, and the cashier's not going to say, Merry Christmas. Isn't that awful? This is what we occupy ourselves by. We're like, why are people not saying Merry Christmas at the cash register? That's the culture war. That's the pathetic, weak war that culture is offering us. An actual war is coming between hell and heaven, and if we focus on that, we will be filled with not terror, not frustration, not cynicism, which is what the culture wars lead us to, but we will be filled, actually, with hope, with hope. I know it sounds distressing, all hell breaking loose, all heaven breaking loose, the nations getting caught in the crossfire, fainting with fear. It sounds terrifying, but it's actually something that should lead us to hope and not despair. And the reason for that is because Jesus is coming back at the end of it all. There's a metaphor in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul uses that's very similar. He's talking about the end times as well. Romans 8, verse 22, you can put it up there, Matthew. It says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. See, here's what the Bible's telling us. When you see all the distress, when you see all the anxiety, when you see all the turmoil and the wars and the confusion and the chaos out there in the world, think of a pregnant woman. Think of a woman in the pains of childbirth. Just picture her right now. I know I've preached on this metaphor before, but it's perfect right here for Advent. What better metaphor for Advent than a pregnant woman? Can you picture a woman full term? She's gone into labor. She's sweating. She's crying out. She's writhing around in pain. She's angry. Can you picture her? <laughs> now, just imagine this for a moment. What if you walked into a hospital and you saw a woman in labor and you didn't know she was pregnant? You'd see all the pain, all the distress, all the crying out. And you might look at her and say, things are not looking well for her. This is not going to turn out well for her. You would not have any hope, kind of like what Terry said about his grandson. The doctor said, we have no hope here. That's how you would feel if you saw a woman in labor. But what if somebody then whispered in your ear, she's pregnant. Suddenly, you'd be looking at the very same situation and all you'd have is hope. Why? Because a new life is about to come into the world. And you would look at that smiling, gurgling face and you would have joy and wonder and gladness and peace. Some of us are looking around at the world. We're looking out our windows. We're looking on 
our television screens and we're seeing turmoil and angst and pain and writhing around and crying out and we've lost hope. But we should be brimming with hope as God's people. We should be brimming with hope right now. Think of a woman in labor. That's what the Apostle Paul said. The whole creation is groaning like a woman in labor. That means new life is about to come. Jesus is about to come back. Wouldn't it be silly if when Nancy was in labor with both of our kids, if you came to visit us in the hospital and I walked out and met you in the family room, the waiting room, and I said, things aren't looking good for Nancy. I'm really worried. You would say to me, She's about to have a baby. Lighten up. This is good. Some of us operate that way. When we look around at the world, when we turn on our cable news networks and talk radio and they fill us with anxiety and our blood pressure rises and don't you know they're not saying Merry Christmas and we get all upset and we get all cynical and all depressed. We're like people who forgot that we're waiting for the coming of Christ. When you see all the turmoil, your hope should rise. Jesus said the world was going to be like this before he comes back. Do not lose hope. I love the first two words of verse 27. Jesus says, all hell is going to break loose. All heaven is going to break loose. People are going to be fainting with fear. It's going to be awful. Verse 27, and then. And then. There's always pain before the child is born. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Then he says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. There's a picture in the word here that Jesus is giving us. He talks about the distress of the nations and people fainting with fear. I picture all these heads falling over fainting, right? People are fainting when all this stuff's happening. But then he says, not you, not us. Raise your heads. Straighten up. We're not fainters. I see a lot of fainters out there. All this stuff's happening in the world. All these heads are falling over. Jesus says, not if you believe in me. Raise your head. Do not live in fear or anxiety or perplexion or distress, but hope because our redemption is drawing near. Now, praise God that Jesus has come for the first time. With the first advent was about 2,000 years ago. People longed for that to come. And when Jesus came here to earth, he completed the redeeming work necessary for all of our sins. He went to the cross. He died in our place. He took the full brunt force of the wrath of the Father so that we wouldn't have to. And then he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death once and for all. But then, for some mysterious reason, he went back into the heavenlies. And he said, I will come back again. And he will be back soon, he says, and he will complete the full redemption plan. And in, the, in between those two times of his first coming and his second coming, he made a promise in his first coming, and he said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. So there's a middle advent, there's a middle coming of God in the person of the Holy Spirit who's right here in this room with us right now. 
So he hasn't left us alone, but he will come back again in the person of Jesus Christ. He'll come on a cloud with glory, with power as the victorious king of all creation, and he will culminate the fullness of his entire plan. And when that happens, we will be with him forever. And it says in Revelation that there will be no more pain or sorrow or death, and it says the sea will be no more. In other words, the very source of evil will be taken care of and taken out of the equation. That's what we're waiting for. We forgot how to wait. But that's what we're waiting for. Finally, my dad's station wagon did pull into the school parking lot, and I was so mad at him. I wanted to say, did you forget about me, Dad? The car door opened, and I sat down in the passenger seat, and I remember his big dad hands. He grabbed me around the neck, and he said, hey, buddy, I'm sorry I'm late. And right when I got into his car, the whole car kind of smelled like him, like his aftershave or something. And I was just so happy to be back in his presence. I wasn't mad at him anymore. I just was with him. And we have a lot of questions I have a lot of questions for Jesus. Jesus, 2,000 years, man. <laughs> Where you been? But when he comes back, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. He's given us some instruction of how to operate, how to, what to watch for, as we've just seen, but also how to interact with each other, how to interact with the world. In the book of Hebrews, there's some instruction. It's talking about the very same thing as we wait for the second coming of Christ. It says this in Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. It says, this is a word of encouragement to each other. While we wait, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See what this is saying to us? When all hell breaks loose, when the world is in chaos, we shouldn't get cynical with each other. We shouldn't stop doing this church thing. It says don't stop meeting together. We shouldn't withdraw from society. It says, stir one another up towards love and good works. When we see the world falling apart like we see it, that's a chance for us to go support things like the Bridgeport Rescue Mission and other opportunities to make the world a better place, to um, encourage one another, to love each other. In other words, to be the church. When you see the news and it distresses you, say, Lord, fill me with hope instead of distress. Fill me with love and good works, and encouragement, because I can't wait for you to come back and make all things right. So happy Advent, everybody. Amen.